Hello everyone, welcome to episode 812 of Cold Wave Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pollock. This year we're chatting with the performers of the Cold Waves 8 Festival running Thursday, September 19th through Sunday the 22nd at Metro and Smart Bar in Chicago. This year's performers include Popple Eat Itself, Nitzer Ebb, How Job, Filter, Chemlab, Severed Heads, Pig, and many, many more. Head to coldwaves.net for the full lineup and ticket links. This week, we're chatting with Thursday Metro performers Jason Novak and Eric Powell. This is Acumen versus 16 Volt.
going to start off with the songs you guys are going to play because i saw eric put up a post about what songs people would want to hear and i saw pez on the alumni page or whatever that's called put up a question of what people want to hear what i've decided after reading that is the only way you can make your fans happy is to just play all your albums beginning to end I started listing out the 16 Volt songs and I got like 40 songs deep and I was like, well, this is kind of pointless. And it's the same thing for Acumen. People want all of Super Cool Nothing. They want all of Let Down Crush and they want everything from Transmissions to Psycho. It's probably time to let the cat out of the bag. And this thing this year is basically just the teaser for next year. Uh, next year, the entire festival is just going to be 16 Bolt and Acumen Nation. As it should have been this whole time. <laughs> well, we're going to play for two days straight, and then uh, Jason's going to play for two days straight. I love it. I can't believe the promoter <laughs> is forcing both of you into one time slot. That's a, it's a travesty. Yeah, somebody's got to talk to this shitty promoter about this idea. <laughs> well, I uh. think just to, just to speak to that, I have to admit, it was just each band has played... Obviously, we played the first one, and every year has been represented by one of us. And it just seemed there's a little bit more to it, fielding all the bands, trying to put something together. And the thought came up as to something kind of unique and fun to kind of blend the bands together in a way that just did something different than one of us playing a set. You know, I don't know if it's the greatest idea in the world, but it was still something of, you know, let's just try something kind of fun here and see if we can't occupy the same space and play some of our hits and play each other's hits. And, you know, there's a real base fruit thing here that, I mean, I don't know if Eric, Eric will probably admit that he feels the same way, even if he doesn't, but like Acumen always saw 16 volt as its counterpart, as it's, as it's, as a partner out there. And it has more to do with just coming up at the same time, the labels that we were on, we could have been in uh, you know, that could have happened easily with two different styles of music or two different thinkings, but God damn, the, uh, the reason that this actually came to my mind is I was listening to, I don't even know what 16-volt album, I was like, these hooks are so similar to our hooks, not in, you know, in any way other than just the emotion that was behind them and the way that we do our middle eights, the way that we bridge up to certain sections. Like, God, we were both in the same mindset. The way the first album, the way Wisdom came about and Transmissions, there's just certain elements of it that have nothing to do with our personalities that are like, there's so many similarities here in the way we, we produced and the way that we wrote and the way that we found this commonality. So I just thought it was fun to kind of admit with everybody like, look, we're we, some <laughs> weird reason. And that, again, doesn't even play into the fact that we became brothers, we became friends, we worked for each other's bands. Hell, Eric and I, we have a song that we sang together. We, 
I mean, Acumen has a song that we put on some release of us covering a 16-volt song for a minute. I mean, it was just sort of incestuous, but there's a really deeper thing there that the melodies and the tunes and the way we wrote songs independently 2,000 miles away from each other were oddly similar and, in the, you know, gave you kind of that same charge. Oh, I totally agree. It's accidental congruency, you know. So I thought maybe we would, after this many years, just kind of wink and celebrate it. As a Nine Inch Nails fan, someone on the internet sent me a mixtape. And the first song on side A of the mixtape was Skin. And the first song on side B of the mixtape was Matador. And and this sticks in my mind. And, and I wish I still had this tape. And and that I feel like that, that cassette tape, that changed my life. So what if you remember what what was the first Acumen song you heard, or Jason, what what was the first sixteen volt song you heard? Uh it was probably Matador. I would say this. It might have been Skin because that's the one that we noodled around with a lot, and we'd play at sound checks. And I remember asking you like what the meaning of the word pith was, and we'd always joke about <laughs> it, it being uh, pith helmets. And we were like, you know, I, I, we were always obsessed with the chorus lyrics, and like, what the fuck is he talking about? I will I say that myself. even though I don't remember this, I won't. I don't remember the exact song. I I know where it occurred, and that was it with Chase. You know, he he for obviously Chase shared it with me before I'd even discovered it. You know, because back then, obviously, it's kind of pre-internet. There's you're talking about cassettes and zines and the good old-fashioned way of finding music. And literally, it was Chase from Reconstruction that showed me the earliest sixteen-volt stuff played it for us you know that's probably how it occurred for me too chase used to send me all kinds of stuff and obviously i think for me it's like you know there, there's only really two bands for me that like stick out among all the others and it's just because my the similarity and that was for me was like diatribe and Nation. diatribe is one of my bucket list bands for cold waves ever since it started and I'd be remiss if I didn't admit that I reach out to Mark Jameson every year or so and be like, uh, and he get, and it's just, nah, it's just one of those things that's not going to happen. But yeah, yeah, we were, again, and, and what are those three bands have in common? Those damn hooks. Yep. And I've had a shit ton of hooks. Yeah, I agree. It was like, these are bands that, that have a rock and roll skill. They, they, have, they have, you know, you could play this on the radio on another planet. You know, like, the, they fit a mold of, of writing hooks, of writing bridges, breakdowns that are almost better than the hooks. They fit into a, a, a popular songwriting format. They just happen to have jackhammer loops and samples and things that, you know, would, wouldn't get you anywhere near the radio at that time. Yeah, no way. <laughs> we were but, I mean, we all, to go. The Cold Waves bands, and I think we all had in common, like all of us at that age group could reach all of our influences. There wasn't a, you know, a machine involved in any of it. Maybe a, a keyboard from Prince or a drum machine from Kraftwerk, but I mean, it was all mostly like ro raised on rock and roll, I guess. And then you fell in love with machines and you tried to fuse the two of them, and that's almost the definition of Cold Wave. I think that's the similarity, too. It's just we had, you know, this ability to take these two different sort of genres and mix them together and accidentally come up with something, <laughs> you know, that that we were all doing it across the nation at uh, the same time. We used to go dancing, you know, the, the dome room was a pretty famous uh, moment in Chicago for a few years that had great industrial dance nights and, and a lot of bands would come through and play. But I mean, fuck if we didn't go there on Saturday nights, drink and dance like till 
two, three in the morning on the dance floor with everybody else just jacking it to these damn hot beats and wondering, wouldn't it be awesome to have some, you know, you know, you want to hear music with it. And it was like th those club beats could have used a little bit of hooks, some guitars, some crunch. And we all ran home and figured out our first samplers and drum machines. And we're like, okay, this is cool. Most people are using this for dance music. How do we use these machines and make some rock music? <laughs> I mean, I think there was some bands that were doing, I mean, you know, obviously doing that. I mean, for, for me, it's like a great example of that time frame. It's probably like Front 242, you know, like Don't Crash was a, was one that had that like sort of pop hook in it, you know. And Sure. I think a lot of the stuff that Al was working on at that point, it was more the side projects that had, you know, sort of like uh, borrowed some of that like pop stuff a little more than Ministry did, I think, but. I mean, I know the first time I, I heard this was on a radio, you know, this kind of music was on a radio show from a college station when I was like maybe 15 or 16. And then just timing wise, I had made friends with a kid in high school that, you know, was a DJ and I had heard of this place Medusa's in Chicago and I had went to his house and I started thumbing through his records. I'm like, what is this? And, you know, and there was cleanse, fold and manipulate. And I'm like, what? The, is this and it was the hot hot with fleas 12 inch in 87 maybe that was 87 but i was still like it had to be around 16 years old but like never this is amazing and then hey have you ever seen this wax track shop wait i gotta check this out all of it just exploded at the same time that's how it was for me too and see i don't know what was it like in portland because we in chicago we just assumed <laughs> everybody had, we thought everybody had this you know, we thought there was a wax track style record store in every city and that there was underground radio in every city and, you know, zines like uh, Permission and shit like, you know, industrial. We just assumed everybody in, you know, that wasn't in rural Kansas had access to this kind of music. And then you grow up and you realize that, yeah, you know, so many pockets of the country, you know, they had no idea this was going on. Well, I mean, I wasn't even in Portland at that time. Um, I was oh, right. in Lake Tahoe kind of accidentally stumbled onto like you know going down to this record store in reno one time and uh the guy was like what kind of music do you like and i was like i don't know like judas priest but i also like punk rock you know rkl and you know uniform choice and, da -da -da. and he's like well you should check this out and, you know he gave me a, a wax tracks promo cut out for i don't even remember which one it was but um i got that you know and i just was like whoa this is super cool and then went down there another couple times and eventually he gave me like the, the video for um, Revco, you know, you goddamn son of a bitch that was recorded at Metro. And that, that's for me, that video is like, just changed my whole world, dude. And you know, it's, it's funny. Like I, I, one of my buddies uh, who I still keep in touch with, who I was friends with back then kind of took that whole, that whole ride with me. And like, we used to sit in the garage and like turn the lights off and like put up little like, flashlights and stuff and try to like duplicate it you know like pretending we were doing it and stuff and it's, it's kind of funny you know just the full circle <laughs> coming back playing metro again at this place that like inspired me to do music in the first place it's such a cool i don't know i had to work really hard to pause a couple of times over the last couple of years doing this stuff with the revolting cox guys and go can you even fathom what you're doing right Right now and i'd be like nah just just get back to work because i was in that, <laughs> i was in that audience for the taping or well obviously we didn't know it was a taping but you know in the audience for that show as a kid i was fucking terrified i had never seen or heard anything like it the amount of fog the amount of you had no idea what you were looking at or it, it was just insane 
and then to realize that 25 years later, Jesus Christ, 25 years later, you're involved in something that is attached to that moment. You know, it's crazy. No, I mean, there were times when, like, you know, when I played guitar on those two shows, like, with Rev Coz, when I walked into the rehearsal studio that day, you know, I was starstruck all over again, and I was so nervous. Uh, <laughs> I was shaking, you know, and I'm, like, looking here, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just blown away. I'm like, I mean, the only person missing it that, that you know, it's rehearsal was Al. And it's like, oh, there's Chris Conley and Luke and, you know, Dwayne. And, oh, man, what a trip, you know, and I was freaking out. And we start playing, and it's out of key. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm fucking this up. Holy shit. And Paul comes over and he goes, hey, you're in the wrong key, man. Like, you're playing it wrong. And I'm like, oh, fuck, what is it? And I start playing it. And Dwayne's like, no, he's right. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, it's got to be me. You know, and, and I'm like checking my tuning and like, what key are you in, man? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. And it turned out that it, actually he wasn't playing it right. <laughs> and from, you know, from there, I just kind of, it put me at ease. But yeah, that, that whole experience playing with them was just like a dream come true, you know? Yeah, there was some psychotic moments that when we did the the uh, big sexy land shows where you're, I'm literally music directing it, telling people like who wrote it, nope, this is where you count in, you know, and going, no offense, I'm sorry, do you mind if I just point this out? There's this, there, you know, <laughs> here's the funny thing, just to go even deeper into that is, you know, all the tape edits that they were making on that record, there's a few that really take the count out of eight or four and you know because there's like and then you 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 see the wax tracks movie and you find out all the stories about how you know this was all done with a razor blade and tape and that sometimes instead of counting eight they'd count five you know there'd be an edit that and i always as a kid would listen to these and go what the fuck man that's so ingenious and weird what what kind of time (laughs) is that and then when we rebuilt all those songs we made sure to keep all those exact Exactly as they were, and the guys are going, "Why did you do that?" And I go, "Well, I thought that's the what you how it was supposed to be." And they're like, "God, could you imagine how much fun this would be to actually do it? You know, in eight or four or whatever it's supposed to be." And I go, "No, no, man, this is the way people have heard these songs for twenty-five years. We got to keep it the same. These these strange little dropouts or off-time things, and trying to convince everybody that wrote it, like, no, no, this is the way you got to do it." it's funny you know the the conversation kind of took me to a place that ties back to what we were talking earlier about musicality and shit and i remember back like listening to like the refco stuff being like okay we just got to keep like the same loop going i can't change it you know i I can't like do a chorus i want to try to like do a song that it it's the same thing over and you know they just layer stuff on top of it to make like the chorus and but that that under part is like all the same you know and i was striving to like not have structure pop structure that like goes in a a different place and comes back and like breaks down and and uh hearing in the, in the movie that like they just didn't know how to work the fucking <laughs> the um fair light and you know they didn't know how to like do that they basically would just get a like loop going and it would just keep going and going and they would just pile stuff on top of it and they didn't know how to change it you know i thought that was really funny that i, I know, like, and you know then, <laughs> striving to achieve that and you know, and how hard <laughs> that and isn't that really difficult incredibly you know, when we got infatuated with uh, drum and bass and Jamie and I would start building these, it, it was impossible. I, I, I just, I, I'm listening to some of them, you know, recently and I'm like, it was so much work to keep that, that 
that beat the same or run through. You know, no, this is the 16 bars that the DJ needs to mix in. I'm like, well, this is crazy. You just do you just do nothing here and you drop out yeah. here and yeah, and you just keep it going and you don't have a hook, it doesn't change. And I'm like, all right, well, I mean, I because I <laughs> fell in love with the music, but the the structure of it drove me crazy. I, I it took a <laughs> lot of like you're saying, like you had to force yourself not to change it up. Totally. And I mean, it's funny, you know, it's a lot of the records we have, like working with Bill Kennedy, you know, Super Cool Nothing. Like if you guys could have heard the original like songs that we did for Super Cool Nothing, there is so much more shit in them. And like Bill Kennedy would be like, my, my favorite effect in the studio is the mute button, you know, and he'd just go across and mute like half the <laughs> shit. And, you know, I'd be sitting there going, man, that's something I worked on for like, you know, a week. And you just, you're just going to pull it out of there?
You know, I, I see all the acts that you put on every year and I, I don't know most of them and I start listening to it and I feel like the Street Sex album, The Kicking Mule, it might not be the same thing, but it gives me the same feelings that I felt when I listened to Territory or I listened to, you know, The Fifth Column. It's like, it's this aggressive vulnerability that I feel like not a, a lot of other bands straddle that line. And I just, I, I feel like that album would not be out of place if it came out, you know, in 95 or 96. I feel like that's, it's at least my favorite album of the last decade. I'm so glad that, that they're going to be there and I'm going to be able to hear some songs from that. That's a great, aggressive vulnerability is a great, great term. So much curation goes into this and then you second guess yourself because you are <laughs> curating it and you're not just looking at numbers and you're saying, no, I, I, I believe in this sound. I believe in what this band is doing musically and that's why we're going to put them on this. this bill. I mean, that as far as Cold Waves is concerned, that's been a huge part of it is like the sound of what they're doing. It's it's the music that they're putting forth. I believe in that. And I'm so glad you thought that about Street Sex. So then when people are supporting it and buying into it, they're buying into that vibe, you know, and and we've been approached by other bands that have a great run for the, over the last 10 years or whatever, doing European festivals. And, and you'll see them at, at uh, Amphi and Wave of Gothic Treth, Trevenor, um, what's the other one, um, Maraluna. I mean, th these are bands that play in front of 10,000 people all the time. And they approach us and say, it would be great to play at Cold Waves. And you just you think like, well, the sound isn't right. And you guys have had, and I think to myself, you've had a home in all these other places because of that style and that sound. And, and we're here to give a home to bands that don't get constantly invited to those festivals and that have kind of that relation to your question of, of that vibe of what we did, you know, 20 years ago or whatever in the nineties with that kind of style of fusing aggressive vulnerability, I guess. I mean, I was so far removed from any industrial, I didn't even know what an industrial scene was, you know, I didn't even realize that there was clubs that you could go to really, you know, until I was already like listening religiously to like wax tracks stuff. So like they were playing your tunes at said industrial club that you had just heard, you know, found out about, you know, pretty much. It, there's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't want to be sound egotistical, but it was just it's an accident that we found samplers and machines and wax tracks and network at the same time that we were strapping on guitars and trying to be like, I am a musician and I write songs and I want to have a band. And it just so happens that this shit I'm into would be super cool to integrate and then next thing you know you're part of this thing that just happens at the same time and and from what eric was saying like all all these bands they have a preconceived you know they have a knowledge of it existing before they chose or didn't choose to pick up an instrument or be in a band i mean whereas we didn't really know it existed and we're you know for luck we're, we're, we're just involved in its kind of explosion on a on an indie level, you know? I mean, it's funny, too, if you even look at, like, you know, the, the quote-unquote fashion of, of our bands, you know? It's like, my first show I ever played, like, I remember running to a store three blocks away to get something that was not, like, blue jeans and a t-shirt, because that's just how I dressed. I was a skater kid, you know? And, like, I was like, shit, I guess I should probably, like, put on something darker, <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. We have these VHS tapes of our first shows in Chicago, at the uh, Avalon nightclub that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, yeah. there is literally a video of Ethan, my brother, and I, Greg Lopez, 
this is even before Jamie had joined the band. And we have TVs, like old TVs stacked on top of each other that we, we probably saw Skinny Puppy do. So we did that and we ran some weird distorted footage that are like we were in college doing film class stuff and we decided to make these weird things. There's like some stand-up tom-toms and there's a shitty little combo amp and there's me wearing blue jeans <laughs> and <laughs> a black cape with a hood. <laughs> I mean, that's and like... I'm looking at this going, who the <laughs> fuck did you... Th what, you had, what kind of identity did you have to be wearing blue jeans with a black cape and a hood snarling about Jeffrey Dahmer into a processor? It, it was just... you. There was Yeah, exactly. And I look back at that and laugh hysterically. Like, you had no idea what the fashion of this was or oh, how you were supposed to look. Yeah, I mean, my uh, only uh, reference point was, like, you know, what I saw in black and white photos that I'd get from the wax track shit or whatever, you know? And, like, I didn't even know there was magazines, you know what I mean? So I didn't have, like, any of that shit. I had no point, point of reference, you know? So I still was dressed in, like, punk rock skater kid, like, well into, like, skin, you know? I didn't have any sort of, like, I guess a trench coat, maybe. I had an army trench coat, but... I mean, I was a dork, and I shopped at TJ Maxx, and I'd never even... I would go to the alley, and I was in... in intimidated i didn't know what to buy i was like i just felt really out of place and this is one of the greatest things that i almost stood up and did the slow clap applause all by myself while working on the wax tracks movie was the realization that those were th those guys that invented you know that came up with wax tracks they were the same way there was no fashion they had no nope. care in the world for what they looked like or what the 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 vibe of the you know you know what i'm saying yeah, it was all about. So, yeah, they were it wasn't a couple a fashion of show. <laughs> yeah, they were a couple of dorks who loved weird music, and and then you think about what was built around it with all, all this, you know, Blade Runner esque clothing and and piercings and what, which is all great, but to finally get that sort of bravo, they the origins of it had nothing to do with fashion and the scene that was built around it. It was about just music, and that's what I think. Almost you could teach a class based on that movie now. Like, it is about the music and how the music makes you feel. Everything else is secondary. The fashion, the scene, the clubs, the DJs, whatever. You know, as long as the music is there and you feel it, you can... And that's, again, wrapping back to Cold Waves, is like we've always wanted to open our doors to anybody who dressed any way and looked any way from housewives to... Whatever, as long as that music made you fucking lose yourself, then you are invited, and and that's that was about it. It had nothing to do with with any way that you look on the outside or fashion or anything. And then we we oh my gosh, I remember being on our first couple of tours. It's fucking hot in the desert. It's hot in <laughs> California. We are wearing shorts and t-shirts. And then you're the only people dressed like that at these shows, and everyone else is in head-to-toe gear. You're like, how oh, the fuck? I couldn't wear that show. I'm sweating. Oh, up. no way. No way. I mean, it really was purpose. We were purpose-built for industrial that we created, you know, <laughs> like like our form of industrial music. Some of the the bands that have recently, I, I have to name a couple bands, well, at least like Tristan from Author and Punisher and... You know, the some of these are the most terrifying. That's again back to drum and bass. When when we got infected with drum and bass, I wanted to scream from the rooftops. This is the most terrifying shit I have ever heard. I cannot believe that the industrial crowd is not into this. This is terrifying.
and and then you would but the scene that it came from or the style or maybe it was because there was some break beats or what whatever but same thing you know you look at author and punisher tristan i mean like look at the guy he's a he's a sweetheart and he's just a dude who looks like he works in a metal shop but that is some of the most terrifying shit ever and it has nothing he's like to a do. surfer you know, he's like yeah, yeah, it has nothing to do with a scene or a vision, a, a, a fashion or anything. And I, I've always felt personally connected to that. To say the music is first, the, what you look like or how you present yourself is isn't even second. It just doesn't count. Um, you know, and people that are just making terrifying music or you know, or music that speaks to me, like that's most important. Unfortunately, a lot of this music got caught up in that, and we don't even have time to probably go into that pitchfork top 33 industrial album thing that just came out a couple weeks ago and you know, I don't even know what that is are you serious oh so they released an article a couple weeks ago documenting in their opinion the top 33 industrial albums and the article itself the article is actually the article starts out very uh it explains the hit, like the true history of industrial music, like Throbbing Gristle and Neubaten and where the term came from and the worker, the, you know, just the mindset behind it. And it actually does a really great primer job of, of getting you to know what industrial music is. And then they list these 33 albums that has exploded in, on, you know, little social media groups of industrial musicians going, this is total bullshit. They're missing the mark. The, you know, why include this and not that? And, and the most exciting thing is just the conversation about it. This music has been starved, in my opinion, and being a part of it for any kind of recognition and any kind of press, because press would look at it and go, this is a fashion show, or say, this is a, a beat machine or a loop library with some distortion added to it. This is a preset on a famous keyboard. I think press was even smart enough to realize there were so many cookie cutter aspects to this music that... Um, you know, we were all like, yeah, this is, you're missing the point. Like there's so many bands that are just ripping things off and regurgitating them. And those are the bands that would end up playing in bigger venues and selling more records. And you're just going, oh my God, this, this is a nightmare. This was supposed to be about the fringe. And instead it's just copycat stuff. So anyway, when a, when a press outlet like Pitchfork actually put some focus into industrial music, as bad as it might have been, I was still like, hey, they're talking about our shit. This is pretty cool.
On this episode, you heard The Wreck of Us by Acumen featuring Eric Powell, Happy Pill by 16Volt, and Fuckface by Acumen. Acumen can be found at cracknation.com, 16Volt can be found at 16Volt.com. Our opening music is Madmaker by Acumen Nation, our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Join us next week as we chat with Richard Patrick from Filter. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold Waves, Jamie Duffy. Here is Eric again sharing a memory of Jamie. There was this one year when we were out on tour. We weren't touring with um, with Acumen Nation, but we were out in our van. And it just so happened that like our van broke down in Chicago. <laughs> it got around real quick. And first person to call us, you know, with a, with an offer to help was was Mama Kid, you know. Well, you guys are staying at my house, obviously. You know, me and Jamie got spaghetti on the on the pot already, and we've got beds made up for you guys. And you're just gonna come over here and stay here till you can get your van fixed. <laughs> and uh, you know, we were there. I think God, I think it might have been a week. <laughs> you know, and she's just feeding us every meal, and you know, it was great. Just cool, cool times. Last time I saw Pat, we we reminisced about that that trip and being stuck out there. And I something to tell. I think at some point we had to like push our van somewhere or something and I, I remember jamie and his mom helping us push the van <laughs> like push everybody push <laughs>